Also thankful that I get to uh, introduce a guest speaker this morning. We don't often do this. It's either myself or one of our staff members, but guest speaker this morning, Brad Bigney. And Brad and I were classmates a jillion years ago at Columbia, and not just in the same graduating class. We were two of the 13 in the Bible teaching program that year. And so we had the, the same individual who taught us to train who trained us to teach the Bible. Uh, for some, it took, and for some, not so much. Brad, uh, it's been a fun to reconnect because uh, both graduated, and then he married his, I guess, high school sweetheart, but no, college. Okay. College sweetheart. I married my college sweetheart. God has blessed him with five kids and one grandchild and another one in now two days, expected in two days. So he's pretty excited to get back. He's a sacrificial servant of the Lord. He took one for the team by leaving northern Kentucky in the frozen tundra to come to sunny Jacksonville. Wow, what way to suffer for Jesus, Brad, right? Uh, the Lord used him to, to, to uh, start a church there. It was uh, just a nucleus, but it's really grown since 1996. Uh, GFC, not CFC, but GFC, Grace Fellowship Church, and uh, Brad's been the lead pastor there since 1996. Our paths reconnected about 25 years after college because a core to CFC and to GFC is our commitment to the Word of God as the primary tool for discipling folks through counseling. And so Brad and his church and CFC are both training centers, and he is here as part of our training center teaching all this weekend. So he's going to teach this morning and teach tonight. I am super, super glad that you're here. Would you give me a warm welcome for Brad Bigman? Thanks, Doug. Well, it is a joy to be with the people of God. I love the opportunity to get outside of my local church. I love the local church, but I love the people of God. And I always go home refreshed and encouraged to be reminded God has his people everywhere, including Jacksonville. So it's been a good joy already this weekend. Some of you I've been with Thursday night, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I'll go home with a full, happy heart, super tired, but happy as I return, seeing a little bit of what God is doing somewhere else. Oh, I'm so glad you came out today, because today we get to dig into what I think is one of the most glorious, big God chapters in all the Bible. I read my, whole, my Bible every year, all of it, and I've got some chapters that I think are big God chapters. Oh, we love learning. I need to know something. I need to know something. Tell me what to do about marriage, communication, money, sex, conflict. But sometimes there's things in the Bible that's not so much, here's a bunch of details on something that's going to fix your latest problem. It's just to frame your entire world and life up again against something bigger. Because the tendency is life just pulls us down like a magnet to right here, right now, and we stop seeing all that we should see. And one of the things we must keep seeing is a glorious, sovereign, big God. Isaiah chapter 40 brings it. But before I even read this chapter, I wanna give you some background as to what was going on when it was written. Because often when you've got context and background, there's even more punch to what is being said. So you need to understand, to really appreciate Isaiah 40, you gotta go back and read the first 39 chapters because leading up to this chapter is almost all just judgment, gloom, and doom until suddenly there's this incredible chapter of hope in chapter 40. You see, leading up to chapter 40, there have been a string of horrible kings leading the nation of Israel that all came to a head with the horrific king Ahaz. And so you can imagine, after decades of this kind of wickedness, the people of God were praying for some godly leadership in the nation. And God gave it to them in King Hezekiah, because it tells us in 2 Kings 18.5, there was no one like him before 
or after. King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah. Finally, some godly leadership in the nation. But as you follow the story, you'll see that even the best of leaders face some horrific problems. And that's important for us to keep in mind. Yes, pray for God to raise up godly leaders in our homes, in our churches, in our nation. But it's a huge mistake to ever think if we could just get the right leaders in place, everything about our future would be secure and the conditions of our land would prosper and improve. Not necessarily. You see, as soon as King Hezekiah came into office, he faced some horrific problems that are detailed in Isaiah. Number one, he faced the overwhelming enemy in the north, Assyria, that was a growing power until finally one of their most wicked leaders came into power at the same time as Hezekiah, Sennacherib. And King Sennacherib of Assyria, under his rule, came into the northern part of Israel, invaded it, devastated it, and scattered it, meaning that this wicked superpower was now knocking right on the door of the two little tribes that were left called Judah. Number two, King Hezekiah himself faced a deathly illness, and God himself actually said, you are going to die, until Hezekiah cried out to God in prayer for additional years, and God granted him 15 more years of life. And number three, the king of Babylon, who at that time was not a significant power, heard about his illness and his recovery and sent messengers with letters and a gift to celebrate his healing. And he showed those messengers all the treasures of Jerusalem and everything in his palace. And God sent the prophet Isaiah to say to King Hezekiah, You've made a horrible mistake because this nation that you think is your friend, Babylon, is actually going to be the one who will plunder you and carry everything you care about most off into exile, including some of your very own descendants. Now imagine hearing all this for the first time that the future for the next 50 to 100 years for your children and grandchildren will not be one of freedom, but oppression. I'm a father of five, I'm a grandfather now. Don't we always hope that whatever's coming next will be better for our kids, for our grandkids? Imagine hearing this, that the future for the next 50 to 100 years is not gonna be one of freedom, but oppression. And imagine knowing that it's the word of the Lord bringing you this message, not just some kind of human speculation. Because within three generations, it happened just as Isaiah prophesied. In 586 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon marched on Jerusalem, reduced the city to a heap of rubble, deported the able people away, leaving the rest to a scavenger life in a city with no walls. And so this great chapter of the Bible that so many of us love and know so well was actually written to a group of people who had just received some of the most devastating news that the future is not going to be what you would hope for. Isn't that how it happens for us so often here in this life? Your life and my life can change dramatically with one piece of devastating news that you didn't see coming and you have no power to change. Maybe that's where you are today. Something has come into your life. Something has happened in your life that was not your choice. And it was not a part of your plan. It's not how you saw your life going at all. And it now changes the future of your life. And you have no power to stop it. There is no fix. 
Especially here in America, I find when I travel and have opportunities to engage other believers in other countries, they're a little more accustomed to, I don't have control over life. For Americans, whew. Now we're, fi- we're finding it out, 2020, 2021, 20- I assume it all was awful here too, even though you got sunshine. I mean, it's just like, even Americans are discovering we're not as in control of life as we thought. We're so accustomed, like someone can fix this. Someone should pass a law. Someone has a medicine. Someone has a treatment. There's an answer for this. And then we get on the internet and think there has to be an answer. There has to be, there's a root I can snort. There's something I can take. There's gotta be a way to fix this. Fix it, fix it, fix it. Make it stop, make it go away. But we're learning more and more, more and more and more. There are things that come into your life that you didn't choose, wasn't your plan, and you have no power to stop it. What do you do? What do you do when something happens in your life that changes the direction of your future for the next 10, 20, maybe 30 years, or even a lifetime? That's what was going on when God spoke this message through Isaiah in chapter 40. And so imagine, imagine with me if you would, put yourself in the shoes of Isaiah when God says to him, I want you to go and comfort these my people. Can you imagine such an assignment after 39 chapters of judgment and bad news? I'm sure Isaiah was thinking, God, after, you, after everything you've already had me prophesy, what could I possibly say that would bring any kind of comfort? You ready? Isaiah chapter 40 answers that question when it puts on display the sovereignty of God and reminds us that our God sits enthroned over all the events of history, including those that are impacting your life right now. So that no matter what happens in our national life or your personal life, a sovereign, loving, wise God controls it all for his glory and our good. Now I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40. And I want you to stand together, if you would, for this great chapter. Isaiah chapter 40. Comfort, yes, comfort these my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem. Cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she's received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The voice said, cry out. He said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. All its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands, say it, forever. O Zion, You who bring good tidings, get up into the high mountain. Oh, Jerusalem, you who bring good tidings, lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand and his arms shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. He will lead his flock like a shepherd. He'll gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, measured heaven with a span and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure, weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. 
Who has directed the spirit of the Lord, or as his counselors taught him? With whom did he take counsel? Who instructed him and taught him in the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? These are rhetorical questions. The answer is nobody, 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 nobody. Behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket and are counted as the small dust on the scales. Look, he lifts up the isles as a very little thing, and Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor its beasts sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing, and they're counted by him less than nothing and worthless. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness will you compare to him? The workman molds an image. The goldsmith overspreads it with gold. The silversmith casts silver chains. Whoever's too impoverished for such a contribution chooses a tree that will not rot. He seeks for himself a skillful workman to prepare a carved image that will not totter. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth useless. Scarcely shall they be planted. Scarcely shall they be sown. Scarcely shall their stock take root in the earth when he will also blow on them and they will wither. And the whirlwind will take them away like stubble. To whom then will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things. He's talking about the galaxies, the stars, the planets, who brings out their host by number. He calls them all by name. By the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my just claim is passed over by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. So what does God's word say to people who have been shattered by national or personal circumstances? Oh, we could dig into this chapter for weeks. But I just want to highlight two of what I think are the biggest takeaways. Two of the biggest takeaways of what you have to have that you need to get from this chapter. Number one, you must know who your God is in the midst of shattering circumstances. Don't hear what I'm not saying. We're created in the image of God. Knowing God is never optional. You'll never do life well apart from knowing your creator God. Knowing God's never optional, but it is essential in times of crisis. Essential. Four times in this chapter, Four times in this chapter, he calls us to behold something about God. See, look at it again, verse nine, verse 10, verse 15. And then in verse 26, he says, lift up your eyes and see who, not what, who has created this universe. Listen to me, when the what of your circumstances begins to overwhelm who your God is in the midst of those circumstances, you'll lose heart quickly. Won't be able to go on. 
and we're finding out, you guys. Don't hear me saying if you're an unbeliever, you won't make it. You can be a believer with sound theology, and if that theology of who your God is does not intersect with where you actually are, it does you no good. And we're finding out. I think we're seeing a sifting right now, you guys, a sifting of the church of Jesus Christ as people hit the exit door over vaccines, mass, politics, America, and you're finding out What did you really have your trust in? Oh, you said, you realize you can have a lip theology that is out of alignment with your actual life theology? Watch how they live. Watch how they react. Watch the emotions. Watch, and you're like, right there's what you treasure. Right there's what you trust in. Right there's what you clutch. Right there's what you were standing on. Mm. Times of crisis times of shattering, times of darkness are the times when you find out not just who knows about God, like Wikipedia, right? I can read up on anybody I want to and learn a lot. Does that mean I know them? I don't think so. We're finding out who has a Wikipedia God and who knows their God. Because when you know your God, Daniel 11:32b says the people who know their god shall gain new strength and do great exploits. Even in times like this, even with scares like this, even with uncertainty like this, the people who know their god will gain new strength cuz we don't get it from our circumstances and they'll still be courageous and do great exploits. Isaiah is showing them more of who their God is because he assumes they're already aware enough of their circumstances. Oh, listen to me. If you want to be able to persevere in hard circumstances, you have to always be seeing more than just your circumstances. How are you going to see more? You're not going to get it from CNN News. You're not going to get it from conservative talk radio. Right here, God's word. God's word. God's word reframes where I am and reminds me of what I'm not seeing that's so true. Reframes it, and yet here's what I'm, I'm reading articles that are saying evangelical Christians, not that tribe that really doesn't live by the Bible anymore, evangelical Christians who are reading their Bibles has plummeted. They're not reading their Bibles. They're reading blogs. They're sending each other links to videos. They're saying, oh, read this, read this, read this, read this. I have an answer. Read this. Read this slowly, prayerfully, carefully, and worship a God who is still on the throne, absolutely on his throne, and in control, and has us here for such a time as this. That's the other thing I find. There's too many Christians wishing they lived in another time, wishing it was more agrarian, wishing we had more farmland, wishing, wishing, wishing. He has us here for such a time as this. We get to be the people of God, but the people of God will not do well if they don't know their God. And right there in verse 21 and 28, do you not know? Do you not know that Hebrew word for know is the same one that gets used? It's more than cognitive knowledge. It's a Hebrew word that means to know someone intimately so that you can rest and trust and be vulnerable with them. It's an intimate personal knowing. It's not just cognitive. Oh, check the box. I believe there's a God. Mm -mm. It's the same word for know that gets used in Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. Be still. We've got Christians that need to be still. They're running frantic. They're screaming. I've got some that keep wanting me to scream too. You realize when people freak out, they don't want to do it alone. I want you to freak with me. Come on, freak, freak. And because you won't freak, you're part of the problem. If we all freak together, we can change this. I don't want to say, stop it. Stop it, I'm not gonna freak. You should stop freaking. If you wanna keep freaking, freaking in another church, like freaking leave. That's what you can do. Like I've had it with you freaking ones. We're not gonna freak. 
We're going to keep preaching through Luke. They're like, you're not addressing tyranny. You're not preaching in a practical way anymore. No, you've gone off the rails, my friend. We're preaching through Luke. We're seeing Jesus. That's still absolutely what we need today. Because when believers know Jesus, follow Jesus, and know there's a sovereign God, they do really, really well. Do you know him? Do you not know? And then that word heard, have you not heard? Have you not heard? It's a Hebrew word that means to hear something in a way that you grasp it, and it changes what you think you can do next. In other words, what you hear is changing and impacting your emotions and what you actually think you could do next. So what are some of the things right here in this chapter we've got to know personally and hear and grasp that would change what you think you could do next? Well, letter A, look at how God's power and authority. Look at how God's power and authority are never frustrated by earthly rulers, the decisions of earth. Is not a lot of our frustration tied to earthly rulers and the decisions they're making? Oh, I wouldn't have done that. I don't want that. I wish not that. What, 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 what? I get it. Don't hear me saying I love what's happening in our nation. I do not. Do hear me saying I still sleep good. I'm not Michael Jackson Jr. having a doctor pump something into me because I can't even sleep now because Biden's in office. I cannot sleep. Pelosi's still on the room. I can't sleep. No, I sleep good because I know who's on the... Read your Bible. No one is in any office apart from a sovereign God. Psalm 75 says he raises up one and he puts down one. Trump was only in office because God sovereignly purposed it and he was out when God was done with him. Stop saying, oh, the election was stolen. Get over yourself. Even if it was stolen... God is sovereign and said, go ahead and steal it, right? Nobody does something that causes God to say, oh, I had plans for America and a second term for Trump. Oh, he gathers the cherubim and the seraphim and says, what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? Like said God, never, ever. It's like, oh, he's sovereign, even my sweet parents, they love Jesus, but they're in their 80s, and they're like, not like you can't love Jesus in your 80s, but, <laughs> but that means they've known a very different America. And they keep saying to me, oh, Bradley, and don't call me Bradley, only my mom does that. Bradley, and they have a ministry to international students, I'm so grateful, and they're like, there's uh, Muslims are trying to reach Ahmad. Ahmad will never know my America. Oh, Ahmad will never know. Mom. Ahmad doesn't need to know your America. Ahmad can still know your Jesus today with this America. That's what matters most. I'm not trying to to cause Ahmad to fall in love with America. I want Ahmad to know Jesus. This is a great day for being a Christian and sharing the gospel because things are dark. Things are scary. Things, the very things that people could put their trust in in America, a lot of them are going away. That's a great time. That's when people say, what else? I need something else. What else is there? Hello, let me tell you about Jesus. You can see God's power and authority, not frustrated. He calls the nations a drop in the bucket. He says, princes, withered away. How many times is the word nothing used? They're nothing. They're nothing. They're worthless. They're useless. That's the comparison of God's power to earthly power. But secondly, letter B, look at how God's love for his people is never diminished even in the worst of circumstances. We tend to associate God's love only on mountaintop sunshine with the winds of grace in our sails. Do you realize God's love can be rich and real in the midst of darkness? Darkness and uncertainty do not change any of his characteristics. This is a big God chapter that mostly focuses on sovereignty, but even in this chapter, we have tucked into this chapter a precious reminder that he's not just high and lifted up and almighty and sovereign, he's also personal and, and tender. You can see it in verse 10, it all begins in verse 10. 
Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. Look at the tenderness. This same God that sits above, this same God that's huge over the circle of the earth, the same God that measured the waters in the palm of his hand, the same God that, that God will feed his flock like a shepherd. He'll gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. In other words, to use theological terms, this chapter shows us both the transcendence of God, high and lifted up, and the eminence of God with us that we highlight in December, but it's true all year long. Emmanuel, God, what? With us. He's not like way out there. He's with us. He's tender. He's personal. He's caring. You get it both in this chapter. Look at verse one again, because I want you to notice two so encouraging pronouns in verse one. You see, my and your He calls us my people, and he says he's your God. He's not just a God, he's your God. There's a relationship, and it's one that can never be severed despite shattering circumstances. You've got to know God intimately, personally, in times of shattering circumstances. Number two, I want you to see you'll need to depend on God's word. It stands out in this chapter. You will need to depend on God's word and be living, oh, for more than this present moment. Too many Christians still, with a little Christian fish logo on their ball cap, shirt, or bumper sticker on their car, they still just basically live for right here, right now, right here, right now right here, right now, as as if this is the best it gets, as if this, I'm telling our people all the time, you're not home yet. This is Motel 6, we'll keep the light on. (laughs) You're saying, whoa, I mean, you don't go to your Bible, you don't find in the Bible, name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, the king's kids go, go first class. No, the king's kids suffer because the king suffered while he took on flesh, and so will we, but he's with us in it. And this life is a vapor. It's a vapor. You're not, you, you know what would help us? If you'd read your Bible, A, and if you'd read all of it, B, and if you'd note the way he talks about us, the way the Bible talks about us should inform us as to how long we're gonna be here. Start noticing in your New Testament what he calls us as letters are written to the church. Pilgrims, strangers, exiles, aliens, foreigners. Does it sound like you'll be here long? Does it sound like you should feel, I just feel so uncomfortable now, even in my neighborhood and at work and at the gym. Perfect. You never should have felt so comfortable before. We get to be a strange people in a dark land that desperately needs hope, and we have it. We have the message. We know this Savior, and he has us here for, he has us here not to turn back America and change everything and make it right, but to proclaim this message of hope that people desperately need. Letter A, look at how God's word is set in contrast to the frailty of human beings. The word of God is said in contrast to the frailty. You can see it in verse six. Flesh is grass, loveliness like the flower. Grass withers, flower fades. People are like grass, but the word of our God stands forever. Letter B, look at how God's word Look at how God's word has already been fulfilled in the past in a way that is so encouraging as you try to move ahead and think, what can I do next? You realize we have the privilege of being new covenant believers. As far as history's concerned, you guys, we are way at the end of history. We're way down here. So much that the Bible talked about in the Old Testament, hundreds of prophecies have been fulfilled, including some we just read here. You realize verses three and four, Talked about making a straight way, valleys being lifted up, mountains being lowered. 
That was in reference when a dignitary or royalty or a king traveled, a team went ahead, days ahead. They didn't have great interstates and straightened out the roads and leveled out dips and lowered steep sections so that the king could arrive. He's talking about the first arrival of Jesus Christ and John the Baptist preparing the way. And he's talking about it 700 years before Jesus ever arrived. And yet I want you to look at verse five again because verse five has to be talking about something else. Verse five says, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And how many? Say louder. All flesh shall see it. His first arrival, a handful of shepherds saw it. Oh my goodness. Verse five is talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ and nobody's gonna miss it. All flesh will see it together. And so now we're living between the already and the not yet. He's already come. He's already solved our biggest problem. Our biggest problem is not economic. It's not a health problem. It's not an education problem. It's not a political problem. Our biggest problem was a sin problem that separated us from a holy God and would have landed us in the eternal hell. And we could have never solved it. He came and took on flesh and did for us what we could never do for ourselves. When he died and rose again, he perfectly kept the law so that now, when you put your trust in Jesus, your sins are wiped out, oh, but there's more, and the righteousness of Jesus Christ, all of it, his perfection is applied to your account as if it was yours. Say, thank you, Jesus. Oh, my word. That's what justification means. That's why you have a robe of righteousness. Oh, here's all you have. You have a robe of righteousness now. You're an adopted daughter or son. You have an inheritance that cannot be shaken or taken. You have direct access to his throne day and night because of your high priest, Jesus Christ. And the word of God is alive to you and the people of God are around you. We have everything we need for today. To live for him. To live for what matters most. But look at letter C. Look at how God's word points us to the future in the midst of shattering present circumstances. Why would he go future on us? The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. I'll tell you. You ready? Knowing what's coming next changes how you live now. Knowing what's next. We got too many Christians only living now. Now. Now, I want a bigger house, I want better cars, I want, I want, I want. Knowing what's coming next changes how you live now. When you really know what's next, you live loose to the things of the world and the things going on here do not upset you like they would if you thought this was all you had. Paul, as he writes Christians, you think times are bad here in America? Like, I wanna say, read history, you guys, get a grip. We got snowflake American Christians, get a grip. We're just now having to start to live the way other Christians in other countries have lived for centuries. Their government's never been in alignment with them. Things have already been, always been hard. They've always been marginalized. We get to begin to taste some of what the rest of Jesus Christ's bride has tasted for centuries. He's with us, he'll help us. And Paul never wrote these churches who were suffering, and they were suffering, and tried to convince them it wasn't bad. Notice how he prays for them. He never says, God, get them out of it. Uh-uh. He prays that they be rooted and grounded and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. He prays that they'll be courageous. He, he prays that they'll know how to suffer well. How to suffer well. He never tries to convince them that this is their best life now. Tell Joel Olstein. The only way this can be your best life now is if you're going to hell. If you're going to hell, this is your best life now. If you're a born again Christian, this isn't even close to being your best life now. Never was supposed to be your best life now. You do have eternal life right now and God's spirit, but you're not home. This is not, hear how Paul talked to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing. Yet, 
The inward man is being renewed day by day for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And he's gonna tell you what you gotta do. It's the same thing I'm giving you from Isaiah 40. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are unseen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are unseen are eternal. Now, how are you gonna keep seeing eternal things? I don't have any other way to do that except read God's word. I mean, read it every day. I mean, soak in it. Let it be your grid through which you view all your circumstances so that it's reframed against eternity, reframed against the backdrop of what's coming next. So I'll start to realize I'm not gonna be here long. This is a vapor, this is temporary, but I need to live for what matters most. I need to live for what matters most. Then letter D, look at how knowing God and knowing where you're headed next changes what you do now. Verse 31 is all about us. It's no mistake that even though this is one big God thing after another, the whole chapter ends focused on us. That's the verse most people know this on coffee mugs, T-shirts. Verse 31. What, why is the switch from God to us? You ready? Because information about God was designed to transform us and change how we see where we are and what we think we could do next. But let me ask you as we close, has the sequence of verse 31 ever struck you as odd? Those who wait on the Lord shall mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not faint. We would have put that together. Those who wait on the Lord will walk, not faint. You do that long enough and you build up your spiritual lungs, you'll run. And you run and you, you start using colored pencils and circling verbs and doing in-depth Bible studies and woo, you'll start to soar. And you read the right books and listen to people on TV and you'll get in the zone. And you will soar, no more living low, no more struggling, no more hardship, zone living for Jesus. That's how we would have written it. Walk, run, soar. Those are the books that sell. Five keys to soaring every day, always. <laughs> Buy my book, right? Why? You know, the way it is, it's almost anticlimactic. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run, they'll walk. What are we gonna do next? Lay down, crawl? Where's this headed? <laughs> Here's what I believe. God understands something about the Christian life. We struggle to embrace and accept. Ready? Steady walking, even if it's baby steps. Just putting one foot in front of the other is what the Christian life is comprised of. Perseverance. Perseverance. Just taking the next step by faith. The next step by faith. The next step by faith. Oh, there can be seasons of soaring. I've had them. I hope I'll have some more. But don't expect to always soar. Be willing to take the next step, even in the dark, because you know him intimately, and you know his word has not changed. It was William Carey, father of modern missions, that said this. He said, I can plod. That's my only genius. To this I owe everything. The greatest heroes of the faith are not always those who are soaring, but those who are simply taking the next step. I want you to bow your heads with me as we close. As we head into a new year, we head into a new year. I want you to think about what is the next step for you? What would that next step look like? Maybe you've been guilty of wanting like light thrown on the path for the next 18 months. What would the next step look like? Would you be willing to say, Lord, if you'll show me the next step, I'll take it. <laughs> 
I'll stop waiting to soar. I'll stop waiting for more. I'll stop thinking I have to know all the details. Next step. Maybe it's to trust God in that marriage and just give it time. Don't hit the exit door. Don't hit the exit door. It took you a long time to get in that mess. Maybe it's to forgive that other person. You've been saying you've been waiting for a forgiving feeling. You're not gonna get it. Forgiveness is a choice because he's forgiven you because of the gospel. Take that step of forgiveness, do it. Maybe it's to trust in Christ. You've been, you've been attending this church or listening online. You've heard enough about Jesus. You've heard enough about the God we have and what he's done. Stop waiting. This year, put your faith in the Son of God who did for you what you could never do for yourself. And he's coming back sooner than you think. Coming back. What would that next step be for you? Oh, God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for revealing to us, not all, but just a glimpse, just a little of who you are. And I pray that who you are would transform what we think we can do next, knowing that you are with us. You are the everlasting God, the everlasting God. You do not fade to
Well, good morning. Before we leave, I wanted to make you aware of a next step opportunity for 2023. You guys have been praying as we launch our Be Transformed ministry for those struggling with habitual sin, life enslaving sins, and also for the families who struggle with that. So we want to let you know that on Friday, uh, January 20th, this will kick off 6.30 right here on campus. There will be two programs running simultaneously, one for those who are struggling with life enslaving sins, uh, substances, pornography, gaming, uh, any life enslaving sins, we encourage you to come check it out. No registration is required. But if you are also have a family member and you're struggling because how, how do you respond when you have a, a close friend or loved one struggling with that? We have a program for you as well on Friday night. So we encourage you to come. We have invitation cards in the back. If you want to hand it to someone, encourage them to come. I would encourage you to do that. As the leader of the counseling ministry, I know there are people struggling with life enslaving sins in this body. Do not let um, fear keep you from reaching out for help. Everyone in that ministry has been touched by addictions in some way, and they are ready to come alongside you. So I would encourage you to take advantage of that. Now, are you glad Brad was here this morning? Yeah. He will be... He will be back tonight to do, uh, we're doing a parenting conference on hope and help for hurting parents. This is not a how-to on parenting. This is when parenting is hard, where's our hope, where's our help? So you have kids of any age, including adult children, or if you know someone who's struggling and you want to know how to encourage them, I encourage you to come back. If you've registered, notes have already been emailed to you. There's no fill in the blanks. You can follow along. We'll have a few copies available tonight as well. But I hope you'll come back. God bless. Have a good weekend.